There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of the show. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. This is another episode in our podcaster series to kick off 2023. If you're listening from the future, then uh, you are probably just cutting through these things, you know, one right after another, uh, or, you know, starting your day, catching up on the back catalog. Uh, Either way, welcome to another episode. I am thrilled to have this guy on the show. Uh, I have never had the privilege of meeting Charles Speck in person, uh, but his reputation is about as sterling as they come. Uh, Charles, as he'll tell you here in just a little bit, he has a show, and I'm going to butcher the name of it. I know it's Millionaire Producer something. It's uh, the Millionaire Insurance Producer there you go. Okay. I knew I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> there was a couple of words that I knew for sure were in there. Charles, thanks for uh, stopping by, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, James, man. Appreciate being here. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. Honestly, it's kind of self-indulgent because I know all of the people that are in this, uh, this little series here are just interesting individuals, interesting professionals that have, you know, strong opinions on a variety of subjects. I just enjoy a nice little shop talk session. Uh, and I know most of my audience does too, from the feedback that I get from and what you want out there, uh, Freedom Jumpers. So if you want to hear Charles's bio and his background and how'd you get to this point in your life, derpa derpa der, like we do with so many of our interview guests, well, you can listen to his podcast and he will tell you all about that uh, over the course of episodes. You may be wondering why in the world are you interviewing people that have podcasts? Doesn't this mean that they're going to, you know, the audience is going to listen to their show and maybe not just yours? It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the idea. Uh, we all get better from, you know, listening to different voices and perspectives. So, uh, Charles, what is going on in your world right now? Catch us up. Uh, you and I are recording in the week between Christmas and New Year's mm-hmm. in 2022 for some context, again, for you future people who are uh, just popping into the back catalog here. What's going on in your world, man? Man, so again, just thanks for letting me be here, James. I appreciate this opportunity to talk with you and, and your listeners. So, you know, I think busy like everybody else. You know, um, this is, you know, this week that we're recording it, I always think this is the most chaotic week in the PNC calendar. It's in between it's the worst. Christmas and New Year and, you know, so many different accounts renew on 1-1. It's just strange, right? Yeah. It's a crazy world. 
Um, but you know, I'm dealing with my clients. I'm trying to help them, you know, sell business, retain business. So I'm coaching insurance agents. I mm -hmm. am working with insurance agencies. Um, you know, I just really enjoy the opportunity to help people. Um, uh, that's really, I think where I get a lot more joy out of it. You know, it's great to be able to, to pay the bills and so forth. And you have to be able to do that. But frankly, you know, when my clients, you know, they get, um, a big win and they share that information with me, I tell you that is an adrenaline rush by itself. So yeah. that's what I've been you know doing, just kind of helping insurance agents, um, you know, also then continuing to work with insurance buyers as well. So that's the other side of what I do. So I kind of look at myself as kind of like sort of the, the magnet between an insurance buyer and insurance agent. So I have yep. insurance buyers who hire me to help them manage their program or help them find a new agent. And then I work with insurance agents to help them sell and retain clients. Um, and I do that kind of, you know, um, I'd say maybe about 70, 30, 70% 70 working with insurance agents, 30% working with insurance buyers. And so that's keeping me very active. Got a wife, I've got five kids and um, I pastor a small church here in East Nashville. Um, I've been pastoring for about 15 different years. That's really where my joy and my passion is. Yep. Um, that's really, you know, where I think that I'm the reason why I'm still, frankly, breathing air here in this world. Um, but I put food on the table by helping insurance agents. And so it's a passion of mine. You are one of the most interesting voices in our industry podcast space. And you just touched on several of the reasons right there, man. You, As far as I know, you are the only podcaster who is an accomplished professional consultant uh, who's not just an agent, but also that person who keeps the agents honest. Um, <laughs> you know, most of us that work in the commercial space, especially larger, more complex accounts, we're very familiar with working with the hired gun uh, who's a consultant. Most of the time, the consultant is licensed and they know exactly how the agency game works. And honestly, most of the consultants I've ever interacted with were an absolute pain in the butt where it was obvious that they were trying to be as difficult as possible uh, to make it as painful as possible for the agent. But from hearing uh, you talk on, on your show and just seeing what you do on social, uh, you're definitely one of the good ones. So uh, if I were the agent and I was dealing with you as a consultant, I have a feeling that you and I would probably get along reasonably well. I would hope so. I actually do think that probably most agents that are you know, the agents for my clients don't look at it that way. Um, I am definitely somebody that, you know, is brought into the, the situation for a reason. You know, I'm hired yep. by the insured for a reason because yep. the agent has lost trust. They've done something. Maybe their team has dropped the ball. Maybe it's just because insurance rates have gone up. So whenever somebody like me is involved, it certainly is a, a reason to kind of pause and, and, and wonder why is Charles here? What is this going to mean to my future and so forth? Mm -hmm. But I can also tell you that probably about 50% of the businesses that hire me don't want to leave their agent. And they make it very clear that they don't plan to switch their agent. They just want to make sure they're getting the best deal and they don't know how to figure that out. That is about 50% of the insurance buyers who hire me. I, I didn't expect that to be the case, James. I really thought if anybody hires me, it's because they want to leave their agent. No, really the issue is that the vast majority of them want to be sure that they're getting a, a good deal. And Frank, and in fact, I would say probably half of the other half, um, they would be willing to stay with their agent. They just want to make sure they're getting a good deal. Yeah. Um, so they want to entertain stuff. And maybe about a quarter of them want to make a switch. They're, they're ready to kind of make a switch. This this is something I want to camp out on for just a little mm -hmm. bit because I, I I find the whole thing terribly interesting. 
you know, as someone who does uh, virtually all of our work, uh, and I don't mind sharing this uh, publicly now because we've we've 100% made the decision. We're just in the middle of vetting out a couple of buyers. We are selling our personal lines book uh, and going 100% commercial as quickly as I can make it happen. I'm once I made the decision, I'm done with personal lines. It's like flipping a light switch. It's like okay, personal lines is dead to me. I don't want anything to do with it. Let's get now this you get thing a chance to smile and make some money possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and stick to stuff that we like, uh, yeah. which means you know, without personal lines, we're going to be spending even more time in middle market commercial and you know, mm-hmm. bigger, more interesting stuff. I'd love to get your take on maybe two or three things on, on either side of the coin. Talk to the incumbent first and talk to the competing agent second. Mm-hmm. Um, what are two or three things that an incumbent can, can be aware of if your insured goes out and hires a consultant, someone like Charles other than getting your ego crushed and just mm-hmm. squashed into oblivion because your client yeah. hired a consultant. They spent money out of their pocket because you messed up somehow. You no longer have the full and complete trust of your client. What are one or two things that the incumbent can do to stay in the winning seat and mm-hmm. you know move back in a good direction? Yeah. At the end of the day, I think there's probably two main things. The first one is communication. The second one is a plan. The biggest frustration, I think, when I speak to my clients is that they are unhappy from the standpoint that the agent really doesn't communicate with them on what's happening out in the marketplace. They get a quote, for example, they were just sort of maybe expecting a flat, maybe a 2 or 3% increase, whatever it is, and then the agent shows up with a 35% increase. Um, it's sort of out of the blue and it doesn't matter, you know, frankly, what the premiums are. 35% increase is a 35% increase at the end of the day. Yep. So. What is really the big issue is that as an advisor, and I, I don't really love that word, but there's a sense in which we have to do that. We have to advise yeah. the insured on what's happening in the marketplace. Many of the things that's happening even right now with rate increases, with carriers going out of business, pulling out of different states, you know, some lines of insurance just skyrocketing. If they're not hearing it from you, 100% they are hearing it from almost every other single insurance agent that gives them a call. And then the question in the insured's mind is, why isn't my agent saying this to me? So I would tell you that they're getting bad news. They're hearing bad news, whether they hear it from their own association, other businesses in the the market, they're just hearing it from the news. They're hearing it. A lack of communication will absolutely destroy you. Example here. I just got another client, a large mechanical contractor, hired me. To, to do this process with them. The big issue is that the agent showed up with a quote, and for whatever reason, I haven't quite figured it out yet, there's three different policy dates that the, uh, that the policies renew on. Um, and right at the end of, I think it was November, whatever it was, showed up with a particular quote on the umbrella that was, I think, four, 400% more expensive than last year with a, with a smaller limit. Hmm. blindsided the insured, had no idea this was even coming. Now they can't actually fulfill some of their contractual obligations they have with some of the municipalities and general contractors and so Hmm. forth, and they're scampering trying to figure out what to do. Um, And I get it. I understand why insurance agents are hesitant about doing that, but guess what? Now they just lost themselves a client likely, right? (laughs) I know exactly why they're doing it. It's very simple. Yeah, they're chicken, right? They don't want to have the insured go and find other agents. 
Yeah. And all that does is cause the insured to go and find other agents. That's what it does. They're, they're, it's the ostrich sticking its head literally in the sand and going la, 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 and mm-hmm. hoping that the problem goes away. Yeah. I don't know about you, Charles, but in my world, the problem never goes away and ignoring <laughs> it only makes it worse 100% yeah. of the time. Yeah. So that communication is, I think, kind of the biggest thing. In fact, if there is really good communication between the agent and the insured, it's unlikely the insured would want to hire someone like me. Okay. Yeah. I feel yeah. that that's really the case. The second aspect of that is a plan. If, if the current agent has a plan, then I would feel more confident continuing to use that agent going forward. Yeah. And by plan, I mean strategy. I mean, do they know which carriers they're going to access? Are they going to access certain wholesalers? Why those wholesalers rather than some others? Does that wholesaler have a better relationship with that particular carrier? Like, I want to know exactly what the plan is. What's the submission going to include? What's the renegotiation strategy going to be with the underwriters? I want to know these things. And if, if the incumbent agent doesn't have a plan, I've got a plan for them. It's called a pink slip. And they're going to get one real quick uh, because my clients pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if they have an agent who doesn't have a plan, I'll find another agent. It's very, very simple at the end of the day. So having a plan is the one thing that can keep a current client. And it's the one thing that a competing agent can have that can win them a new client. Um, To give you kind of an example, like I, most of my clients, when they hire me on that side, I usually tell the insured, I am going to do a thorough um, interview with your current agent. Um, It's not going to be like a difficult conversation. It's going to be friendly and so forth, but I have certain questions I'm going to ask to find out, do they understand your exposures? Do they understand your industry? How many clients do they really have? What carriers do they have access to? Um, I want to be able to know those things because if they've got a plan, if they've got a reason to stay on the account, I'm going to do everything I can to potentially help that agent because it actually is a huge nightmare for me to try and bring in other agents to get quotes. Uh, it's the yeah. same thing for the insured. They don't like getting quotes because it's just more work for them. I would rather can keep the business with the current agent if the agent has a good plan and is willing to communicate what that plan is. Um, and so long as they do that, we can get along really well. In fact, I'd probably tell you less than 50% of my clients ever switch their agent. But I always do introduce maybe the the threat of competition, even if I don't have to bring in a competitor. And that's one of the things that a person like me does is that as soon as we are brought into it and I contact them, that threat of competition is there and it causes agents to dot their I's and cross their T's a little bit more. It absolutely does. Yeah, they pay a lot closer attention when they realize mm-hmm. that some, you know, there's the possibility of a wolf in the hen house. Yeah. So no, yep. that's... I have only been on the competing side of this equation. None of my clients have ever brought in a consultant. I'm not saying that to thump my chest. It just it just hasn't happened that way. I'm sure it will happen at some point, uh, for sure. Uh, and let me just even add to this is that I would say most of my clients, a little over 50%, let's call it 75%, most of my clients um, hire me on an annual retainer and I work with their agents. But about 25% of my clients hire me and they never have me talk to their agent. They have me behind the scenes, seeing what's going on, asking questions, answering questions that they have, and then advising the insured what to do with their agent. Mm -hmm. So that we're just seeing how the agents are doing certain things. We're asking the agents, you know, when can we expect the quote, different things like that. Um, Because it's actually a less of a, um, it's a less of a cost for me to do it that way. So I have clients that want to do that, but just, you don't have to have someone like me necessarily 
speaking to that agent if the insured knows what to look for. That's the hard part. Yeah. And we all know very, very few insureds know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, I, man, I love it so much. When you get on a call with someone and they start spitting lingo and they're using acronyms, you're just like, oh, you know what you're doing. All right. We're going to get along great. Right. No, it's, I don't have to do all the blah, blah, blah education stuff. And here's why you should interview your brokers. And no, mm. please don't go to market with three brokers at the same time. Don't do that. Mm. You know, the one thing I want to ask on the competing side, uh, actually, no, let me just ask my first question and then I'll do my follow-up thing so I don't get things out of order in my brain. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit uh, ADHD this week. It's one of those, wait, what what day is it? What day Mm -hmm. of the week is it? I honestly don't know. I had to double check and look at my watch. It was like, oh, it's Wednesday. Okay. It's like a Twilight Zone thing between Christmas and New Year's, man. Every single year, just like, ugh. I totally lose every in all like sense of reality in this week between Christmas and New Year's. Sorry. Anyways, I digress. I'm gonna hit the little whoosh sound to get myself back on track here. (laughs) So, one or two suggestions for the competing agent: Mm -hmm. if they're working on an account where there's someone like you, there's a consultant involved, and it's not just the insured making decisions. Well, the insured has brought in a professional and kind of Mm -hmm. deferred to the consultant's judgment. What are a couple of things that the competing agent can do to better get the incumbent fired? Okay, great question. I will always tell the agents that I ever bring in, I say, look, I can't guarantee you the business, but I can guarantee you that I'm not going to use you. Okay, I'll usually tell them that because I, I want them to realize that they've got a legit shot, and they do. If I'm bringing in an agent, I'm not wasting his or her time because I know how much time it takes to go through a quoting process. Um, with that said... Whenever I'm bringing in a competing agent, I will interview them as well. I want to find out how many clients they have in my insurance industry. I want to find out what carriers they would access for the various lines of insurance that are coming up for renewal. I want to ask them, without even telling them, what will the submission look like? What will it include? And will you agree to send me a copy of the submission before you send it out to market? Um, So I want to find out these things because I don't want them to represent the insured in a bad way. And again, it comes down to plan. So if the agent comes across like somebody that understands the business, you know, has some clientele, has the markets, that's a great sign for me. However, if they offer no services, I'm probably not going to hire them. Um, I want to also potentially know some more about their account manager. Who is the account manager? How long has he or she been working on your business? How many accounts are they working on? Um, What type of services is your agency going to provide? Are they going to provide workers' compensation claims? You guys going to do some safety programs? Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be virtual? Like what exactly is a loss control program going to look like? Um, If they can give me some information that explains what it's going to be like to be serviced by their agency, that's helpful. If I walk away from that conversation feeling like, uh, they're kind of like every, you know the other 10,000 insurance agents that are out there that just look very bland to me. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be an agent that's working on my client's account. So it comes down to really understanding your micro niche and really having a strategic plan for the insured's renewal. I wanted, I mean, if you know which carriers are writing that business, why not put it together in a list and give it to the insured and say, these are the accounts that I plan, or these are the carriers I plan to take your account to the marketplace. I'm going to access these three wholesale brokers and this particular um, MGU over here to because they handle the account direct. 
that speaks so much volume to me. I don't really even need to know too many other things. If they've already got that kind of stuff figured out, I already know that I'm dealing with somebody who, who gets it, who yeah. gets it, right? But somebody who doesn't have that, doesn't have a strategy, and certainly doesn't have it kind of written down or just can't even email to me, I just know that I'm kind of dealing with somebody who really isn't a professional. Now, I, I love what you just said is it goes right along with honestly what I expected you to say. Uh, that's right on target. Uh, my follow-up question is, is about market assignment. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that we do at the point of sale, when we, we do our you know, discovery and fact-finding and whatnot on the front end of a prospect conversation, we obviously, we, you know, at the end of that conversation, if I want to work with this person, I'm pushing for the BOR and having the whole you know, broker selection model conversation. We've talked about that on the podcast before, so I won't go into the specifics of that. But the, the thing that I give the insured is, look, this is what we need in order to best perform our duty and have the highest likelihood of giving you something that you're happy with at the end of this conversation if for some reason you're not willing to sign a broker of record letter and giving us exclusive representation of your interests in the marketplace, I will allow this process to continue if you're willing to give us our target markets. You know, for instance, I, I was on the, a phone call earlier today with a, a commercial property investor in Kentucky. Uh, has some apartment complexes, has some retail strip centers and whatnot. And the incumbent for all of them is auto owners and I don't have auto owners because they don't operate in Texas and will not appoint any agent who's domiciled in Texas unless they're freaking huge. Mm -hmm. And I'm not yet. So the incumbent market was out of the conversation immediately. And I told the insured, I don't represent auto owners. I'm not interested in having a BOR with auto owners on it because mm -hmm. they'll be like, you're not appointed. Go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I told the insured, I need everything other than the incumbent uh, market, and he was perfectly happy to do that. Hypothetically, if he wasn't, I'm going to be saying, look, these are the three or four markets that I expect are probably best uh, for habitational and LRO in Kentucky. I need you to give me these markets if you want me to play ball. Otherwise, I'm out, like mm -hmm. Shark Tank out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on that as the consultant. Market assignment, from my perspective at least, is a really important piece of what you do for the client of deciding who gets access to which toys in the toy box. Yeah. How do you do that? What's your perspective there? Yep, 100%. Um, it is, I, I, my main focus when it goes to the renewal of bringing in competing agents in the bid process is to not muddy the water. Um, and I tell, the, I tell the agents that if... If any of my markets get a double submission from you, we will take all the markets away from you and give it back to the incumbent. They're, they are they know that up front. They are assigned the markets that they get to go to, and that's it. Like I just do not want to have any of the markets get a second submission from another agent uh, because it just kills the motivation that the underwriter has going forward. Uh, with that said, a lot of it also depends, James, based upon does the insured really want to leave their agent or do they want to stay with their agent? Okay. If I feel like the agent's doing a good job and we're just going to go out and get some quotes and there's a real good shot that we could leave that agent. Normally, um, I will ask the incumbent agent, I want to have a list of all the markets you plan to go to. And then I want you to put them in order of preference. Mm 
If they give me 10 carriers, I want it in order of preference, 10 carriers. Um, then if I'm working with some other agents, I'll say, here are 10 carriers that I know that um, the incumbent is saying that they would want to go to. What would be your list and what carriers are not on this list? Um, and so then I typically do that. I, it's very rare that I get a third agent in. And the only time I would ever get a third agent in is if they are going to a market that is not on one of these first two lists. Okay. And so then I give the opportunity to the incumbent and I try to give the incumbent like the fair share here. Like if they've done a decent job servicing it, I'm not just going to take it away from them, but I am going to introduce competition in the marketplace. And so I give the agent like a chance to kind of pick which carriers they want. Then once I decide which ones I'm going to give them. So I might give them maybe number one, number two, number six, number seven, eight, nine, and 10. Right. And then I go to the, the other agent. I say, okay, I've, I'm giving the incumbent agent these markets that would leave, you know, these other seven for you. If you're willing to accept those and go to the market, you get to have those seven. And those are going to be the ones that you get to work with. Mm. Um, that's normally how it works. And, you know, because if I'm going to take away the current market from the current agent, or if I'm going to take away any of the other markets, frankly, from the other agent, I'm just going to do a, a, a full broker of record letter across the board. Yeah. Right. If we're going to make a switch in the agent, we know we're going to do that. It's just a full broker of record letter to a new agent. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to cut out the legs of the incumbent, I mean, yeah. it's it's like, you know, like torturing someone before you kill them. It's like, yeah. if you're going to kill me, just kill me. Like, don't chop off my arm and let me bleed for a while first. Yeah. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merged? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. You know, and no. so instances like that where I'm getting another agent involved, yeah, I mean, like they, the agent probably doesn't like me very much, you know, and I don't <laughs> no. want to tell you about that because they're not my client. You no. know, the insurance buyer is my client. Yeah. Um, but that's normally how it works. And I would tell you that it's it's very rare for me to ever get a third agent involved. But when I ever do, it's because they have a, they have a carrier that nobody has access to and that's mm -hmm. it. That's all they get, if you will. They don't get to go to anything else. Um, and I'm giving them both a fair shake and I let them know that. They bring those quotes in. I'm not sharing anyone's quote with anybody else. You bring in your first best option, and then we'll choose which agent and which carrier we're going with at that time. 
Mm. That's it. So I let, I mean, I let the agent know that they have a very fair share, a shot at running this business. And if the agent, frankly, understands the business, if they know the insurer's exposures, if they've got, you know, a, a good opportunity to write it based upon having a number of carriers, then frankly, they've got a pretty good shot. Yeah. Um, I think that they've got a more, I would say probably somewhere between like a 40 to 50% shot of winning the business. And if they do it right, then I think that they probably will, you know, get the business. But, you know, if, if how, they how do you handle, and I, I can hear the, the anger and frustration stewing in <laughs> audience land with someone mm-hmm. is sitting there who's thinking one, the BOR, the broker of record letter is, is a tool of thieves and liars. Uh, that they just hate it entirely, categorically. There's a second group of people that are really concerned about last look. They say, okay, the whole BOR thing, it is what it is, but as long as I can have last look, I'm probably okay. Because we've all been there, every mm. single one of us. I imagine even you, Charles, where you do sure. all the work. You do everything you're supposed to do. You get the insured to confirm last look. And then you, you know, the underwriter does a great job. They get good credits. Everything is exactly as it's supposed to do. And then that dadgum insured goes and hands your work to the incumbent, and then they somehow find an underwriter that's willing to undercut you, and mm-hmm. you just lost the deal because the insured either lied to you or didn't follow through on what they said and gave the incumbent last look anyway. Yeah. And every underwriter out there from here to Timbuktu would much rather give a deep discount than lose an account, especially sure. if it's profitable. Yeah. So how do you handle the whole last look thing? Because in our conversation, in our sales process, we flat out tell the insured, if you're not willing to give us last look and give us the opportunity to beat your incumbent, I'm not going to work with you. Because otherwise, and I tell them point blank, it was like, otherwise you're going to have me do all this work and then you're going to take my work and basically steal from me and mm-hmm. take money off of my bank account and take food out of my kid's mouth and give it to your incumbent. And they're just going to drop the credit and keep the business. We make them promise that they're not going to do that or else we're not going to work with them. So how do you handle the last work thing? This is the reason I have a consulting company. Uh, This whole idea of last look and so forth. I'm telling you. If I, I I can answer this question from a few different perspectives. Okay. Please. I'd love to hear all of them. Yeah. If I wasn't a consultant also to insurance agents teaching them how to sell, I would probably handle this differently. Okay. But because I was an agent and I know how it feels to have your your quote taken and given to somebody else, I feel it's quasi unethical. Okay. Yeah. However, if if a competing agent or frankly, even the incumbent agent does not have a conversation with the insured saying, don't share my quote, then all bets are off. As an insured, I get to do whatever I want then because I'm not forcing you to quote. And if you're not going to have the conversation with me that says, please don't share my quote, then my assumption is it's okay for me to do whatever I can to get a good, a good, a good option here. Yeah. However, with that said, when I'm working with um, an insured, when they're like kind of trying to figure out whether or not to hire me, I usually have that conversation with them. I said, look, we're going to get quotes if you want and go down this process, but we're not going to share quotes with your incumbent. We're not going to share quotes with the other agent. Everybody's spending too much time and you're not going to get a, you know the, the best effort from people if they don't really feel like they've got a, a good shot. I just feel that that is right. Now, with that said... I think that it is a distinct advantage for an insurance agent to try and get last look. 
I absolutely coach all of my insurance agents to do everything they can in any kind of a competing agent, whether they're the incumbent or a, a, a competing broker, to do whatever you can to get a last look, to get a copy of whatever your whatever your competitors are you know, putting out in the marketplace and then see what you can do. And normally, I would also tell you as a competing agent, don't actually give your quotes until you know you're last in. If the incumbent agent has not given his or her quote yet, do not give your quotes to the insured, period. Especially if you can't get them to buy in on, you know, sharing the quotes and so forth. But so positioning is important. And because it is competition based upon commission, it's a different issue. It's just a different issue. Uh, But with that said, it's also because insurance buyers don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize that, wow, James and his team actually spent 23 hours you know, from start to finish on this account, driving back and forth and spending all their time to put this together. They don't realize that. It doesn't click into their mind like, oh, this is a bad no, way to they do have business. No idea of no clue. labor cost, opportunity mm-hmm. cost, et cetera. So they yeah. I mean, I can't blame them for being selfish and yeah. being self interested. It's their job. They are the client, they're the customer. They're supposed to be self interested. Yeah. Now, you know, the ones that are whining, you know, the agents that are whining and complaining, it's like, oh, but you didn't did it. It's like, shut <laughs> up. Right. It is not their concern about your yeah. interest. They're going to operate in their interest. And you mm-hmm. have to expect them to do that or else you're an idiot and you deserve to yeah. lose. And many times they don't realize what they're doing it uh, or that they're doing it. They're just no, trying to no get idea. a good deal, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, frankly, most of my accounts are paying over $100,000 for premium, usually like yeah. between two and 500000 So they're decent-sized accounts, right? Mm-hmm. And if they can save 15% you know, on a $300,000 account, well, that's $45,000 that they're saving by giving somebody a last look. Yeah. That makes sense from their perspective. That just makes sense. If, if, if I'm the incumbent agent and you're a competing agent and, I'm, and the insured's paying three hundred grand on their insurance – and you give me a quote, my agent gives me a quote, but then I, I, I take your quote and I give it to my, uh, I, the insurer takes your quote, gives it to me. And I, I go to my agent or my underwriter and say, Hey, I need you to get some room. I need you to take off some premium. And I come back with a significantly lower quote. The insurer just did a very good job, a very good job at competing, if you will, right. Yeah. At getting quotes. Great job for them. I mean, the hard part then, as an agent who competes, you got to do everything you can to ensure that doesn't happen, which requires yeah. open communication with the insured about yeah. how this whole process is going to work, what you will allow and what you won't allow. And if you usually can explain to an insured why this is sort of unethical, I think it goes a long way. Here's kind yeah. of an example of like what I would normally say. This is what I teach agents to say. You know, when you decide that you're going to go through a quoting process, okay, you can't get the BOR, it's not available, don't represent the carrier, whatever. I'll usually have a conversation like this, James. You know, hey, James, I really appreciate you, um, you know, giving me the markets that I want to have access to. And, you know, we've agreed that I have to be about 4% less expensive in order to win the business. I appreciate that. Um, So that really kind of tells me what I have to do in order to win your business at the end of the day. Um, But I also want to make sure that, you know, everybody's on the same page from an ethical standpoint. Um, it would be wrong for you to give me your current agent's quote at the end. And then I just kind of like come under it four and a half percent like that. That really wouldn't be right for all the work and the hard work they're doing on the back end. Similarly, you know, if I'm going forward with you, I would request that you would agree not to take any of my quotes and share my numbers with 
the current agent or any other agents, either verbally or in writing, sending my submission and so forth. If we can agree that each agent is going to work hard, bring in their best numbers, and if I'm the 4% less expensive, then I get awarded the business, you do business with me and not the other agent, I'm willing to go through this process. However, if you don't want to do that, the last thing I want to do is spend 20 to 25 hours of my life working on it when I don't have a chance, because that's how much time I'm going to be investing in you and your company. That would be the conversation I, I would suggest you have. That is solid gold, man. For anybody who has not already put that in their toolbox, folks, that right there is more than enough for the whole episode. Go back and hit the little 30 seconds back button and listen what Charles just said. Uh, then apply that in your office. Solid gold. I love it. Um, the, the, the counterpoint uh, to the whole last look thing um, mm -hmm. is getting creative in, in structure, uh, in revenue structure, you know, bringing mm -hmm. in fees instead of just commission and whatnot. Um, I was going up against an old school bank owned agency in Oklahoma City uh, for a portfolio of apartment complexes. And the insured was of a certain ethnic descent uh, that has a stereotypically uh, reputation for being a complete cheap odd. And um, I, I knew what I was getting myself into when I answered his request for me to go to market. Uh, and I knew what he was willing to do and wasn't willing to do. Uh, he would do anything it took to save himself some coin. So we get to the end uh, and the bank owned agency very vanilla, not creative at all. It's just a, a classic old school commercial agency. Um, I got their final number and it, it happened to be a, a market that I have a lot of experience with. Um, it, Gen Star, General Star is the, was the property market in question. And we access them through any number of wholesalers. Uh, RT Specialty is one of my favorites for a variety of reasons. But anyways, I tell the insured, look, here's the deal. I see from this thing, this dude is making about $12,000 in commission on this policy. Let me do you a solid here. If you're willing to work with my office, I will give you a concession on my revenue in order to win your business. I will place a fee on the account and net my commission. My fee will be $8,000 and I will take a reduced revenue of $4,000 for the first year in order to establish this relationship. This is my good faith deposit on the relationship. And the guy's like, wait, you can do that? It was like, I can do that. Your friend over there at that other agency can't and won't because they're super old school. And I don't know if he even knows that that's possible, honestly. And I found out that he didn't know it was possible because I kid you not, the competing agent, the incumbent calls my office and gets me on the phone and calls me a liar and a cheat. And I'm just like, <laughs> hey, bro, yeah. I'm not really sure what to tell you. You got beat. Here's exactly how you got beat. Good luck next time. And uh, that was the one only time in my entire career that I've had a competing agent call me on the phone and mm -hmm. name, you know, name call me. It was a terribly <laughs> amusing process. I mean, I get yeah. off the phone and I couldn't help but cackle laughing in my office. I mean, that can't go like, very well, right? I don't know why this poor would do fool that. doesn't have any. Yeah. They just ran into a buzzsaw because yeah. they play by a vanilla set of rules and. If you're going to get creative, last look and broker of record and all that stuff, it gets a lot more complicated if you know how to play the game with the creative rules. Yeah. So. I would tell you most of the, what I would call like legitimate bigger brokers. Okay. 
know how to do that with the commission, the numbers, the fees, and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of agents that work for bigger brokers that don't know how to do that. And so yep. there's a difference between somebody who really kind of knows what they're doing versus not. You know, I can still remember when I learned that around a point to a point and a half on middle market is premium that is being assessed to the insured for loss control services the carrier is going to provide. I mean, how many times though does a loss control actually follow through from the carrier side? Very, not often. Almost You can never. save the insured almost a point to a point and a half just by saying, we're going to provide the loss control internally. Therefore, you will have a point to a point and a half less on a premium than another agent that you know doesn't understand this, right? Yeah. So it's just obvious on what these things can, can be done. When it comes to wholesale markets, man, there's a lot that can be done in regards to figuring out commission, commission splits, how much to receive, what is a broker fee, going to be from a retail side, a wholesaler side, how much is the wholesale agent going to get from commission? How much will we get? There's a lot that can be done um, to negotiate. And I would tell you, like, there's been plenty of times where even I had a client, like the wholesale carrier pays like 17 and a half, you know, based upon what I would call or consider the loyalty of that account, the size of the account, how much time I had to spend on it. There'd be times where I would tell the wholesale agent, I want 17 and a half, you figure out what broker fee you got on it, and I'm going to sell it. Um, because I just figure I need to have 17.5% on this. I'm going to write it. There's other times where I say I can write this account at 7%. Um, You keep the rest of the commission, no broker fee across the board, and we're going to look better in the final numbers. Um, You can work with the insurance carriers on a lot of different things like that. Another aspect to take into consideration, this is where I really see wise agents doing this correctly. Okay. I kind of usually look at it from the standpoint, certainly with construction and maybe different industries that go up and down a lot. Okay. Construction just happens to be the thing that I understand a little bit better. That's where my focus is at. So when a contractor, subcontractor, or general is trying to figure out what their gross sales are going to look like for 2023, like they, they kind of have a pretty good feel, but they really don't know what's coming up, right? What they're going to win, what they're not going to win. So normally, and again, this is a competing way that you can win business. I would normally then tell the insured, let's say you're thinking you're going to do you know, $10 million, like you, you could do $10 million. Why don't we go in at seven and a half, maybe to 8 million? What I will do is I will write your account at 0% commission. So not only are you saying, I'll just use 10% as an example here. So then not only would you be saving, you know, the 10%, which is 75, if it's $100,000, you'd be saving $7,500. But if you actually end up then doing additional additional sales on top of it, let's say you do get audited for maybe uh, 10 million, um, then there's no commission set to the additional audit premium as well. So it's saving them commission on the front end, and it's saving them 10% commission on the additional audit premium as well. So writing an account at net, not lowballing the numbers, but trying to then play conservative with the numbers. I think it's important to, to define or describe it that way. We're yep. being conservative with the renewal um, exposures with the thought that there very well could be an additional audit premium on this, and it's lowering the insurer's overall cost, 10%, 15%, whatever the carrier normally pays for commission, but I'm feeing it. The only time that I would do that is if I negotiate a three-year commitment with the insured to do this process with them at my set commission fee, or I set my set fee. I'll write it at net for three years, and I'll make this amount of money every single year. We'll have a three-year commitment to go to the marketplace. That actually helps the insured in a lot of different ways. It helps them with cash flow. It helps them with 
the additional audit premium because they're paying about 10 to 15% less overall in cost on that additional audit. The other aspect to that then is I one of the reasons why I like doing that is because it also gives me leverage with the current carrier. So let's say, for example, I've got travelers with my insured. If there's an additional audit premium of $20,000 with travelers, does that mean the insured has to pay that additional audit premium? Answers no. Not if travelers wants to keep the business. The insured very often can get out of 100% of the additional audit premium based upon how profitable they were in that current year, or will likely pay less if I, as an insurance agent, negotiate on that additional audit premium. So if I'm going into renewal and I know that the insured you know, is going to have an additional audit premium, that's going to come into my consideration as a consultant when I'm talking with that insured, uh, rather the insurance agent and the underwriter. If I know there's a 20%, a $20,000 um, additional audit premium out there, I will then negotiate with the traveler's underwriter to, in exchange for eliminating the $20,000 that's due, we'll just do an automatic renewal with you based upon the quote you gave and we're good to go. Or I will negotiate 50% off the additional audit premium in exchange for renewing the business with you. Um, there's a lot that can be done when you start playing with the numbers a little bit. And the more that you get a savvy underwriter or a savvy wholesale broker who gets it, the better yep. off you're going to be. And like, again, nobody is like being unethical here. We're just being wise. No, it's not unethical at all to negotiate from a position of strength and leverage. You know, it's a, mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems like cheating if you don't understand the rules of the game and, yeah. and the unwritten rules of the game. Uh, it reminds me of that quote. Yeah, I forget who said it. It's in my book. I have it quoted out. Uh, it's one of the little chapter uh, heading quotes for the chapter seven technology. It says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Hmm. I love it. Like, That's good. Yeah. Well, think about it. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And it's like, to the insured, when you pull out a trick or a tactic that they've never seen before, you're going to seem like a magician. Mm -hmm. even, if, even if it's completely normative for your office, it, it's totally you know, you know, par for the course. If the insured's never seen someone pull that before, they're going to give you a whole lot of credit. Um, yeah. you know, not to be and if I can take it like a, like a right. step further, like why you say this is important, it, it is kind of like magic when you start to figure it all out, right? But when you look at different carriers and certainly in the wholesale market, you know, many times they have these like one-way audits or 100%, you know, premium, like it's due up front and you don't get anything back. Well, like in those instances, we really need to negotiate on the insured's behalf, yeah. on what to do with this. The last thing I'm ever going to allow happen is an incumbent agent who has no plan will not represent my account to the wholesale market. It is a different world altogether. Yeah. Right. It is a different world because the, the quotes you're going to get from travelers and Chubb are going to be different from the carriers you get that are, you know, non-standard carriers that are not admitted in the, in the state from a wholesale market. They're just night and day on the terms. So you just, you have yeah. to take those things into consideration, which is why an agent who is micro niched and understands the industry is going to be a much better choice than just an agent who's kind of like you know, flinging mud and hoping for the best. Well, and the thing that just boggles my mind is the, the folks that don't know any better and just assume that if it's a non-admitted, if it's an ENS market, then it's more expensive with worse coverage and da-da-da. Generally speaking, that might be the case for an inside-the-box account, 
But in the world that we operate in, and I, I, I can imagine that you're right there with me, Charles, is uh, it's just not the case. You yeah. know, we, we had a mixed occupancy commercial property, uh, and it was actually in Tennessee. And um, no, sorry, I take that back. It was in Tunica, Mississippi, about an hour south of Memphis. And this thing was not even remotely close to competitive. Uh, our best admitted option was actually Travelers. But we, we placed it with uh, an ENS marketplace that had better coverage, lower deductible, fewer exclusions, and less premium. Hmm. Because the appetite for that particular carrier was perfectly aligned with the risk. It was their sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Whereas Travelers was like, Ugh, we don't yeah. like this. This, right. this doesn't work for our appetite. And they weren't willing to offer anything close to the terms that yeah. the insured got with an ENS market. Now, mm-hmm. of course, there's downside, and yes, I know there's no state guarantee fund participation and insolvency is a possibility. But if you're, you know, writing quality ENS business, it absolutely should be in your tool chest for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's so, a lot of things to take into consideration, and I agree with you. The standard markets are good at writing what they want to write. They are terrible at writing things outside of their their normal appetite hit list. Man, we have gotten all the way in the weeds on this episode. <laughs> I I really didn't know what I was going to get from you because y- you are you're able to riff on so many different subjects and you know, it's like classes in session. The professor is standing at the front of the classroom, so buckle up boys and girls. Um a- anything that we haven't talked about. Uh we're we're about 46 minutes of recording time right now, mm-hmm. right about the time I usually try to land the plane. Um, but I'd love to, to give you the opportunity to, to hit on anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to. Oh man. I mean, I do have like a few things that I am planning for 2023. Um, okay. you know, have at it, man. What you got? Not necessarily that I'm going to like, uh, you know, announce everything that I'm doing. Um, however, like I do a have a few teaser, things right? that I'm going to movie look- trailer. That's it. You know, it's a strange world we live in. Um, but I do think like 2023 is going to be, a very like interesting year for me and my company. Um, I named my company Permission Sales for a reason because I didn't want it to be insurance sales. I started insurance, but I feel like I'm to the point now where I can start branching out. And so I'm going to be branching out to other industries, helping those people, you know, sell more and so forth. So I'm still going to always have insurance is going to be my thing. I'm probably going to set up a second podcast, which is going to be the Permission Sales Podcast. So I'm still going to have the Millionaire Insurance Producer, which is going to be insurance-based. I'm going to have Permission Sales, which is going to be sales-based in other industries, focusing on permission. So I do foresee myself to kind of branch out a little bit more. I'm probably going to double down a little bit more in uh, my insurance consulting with different construction accounts and probably working with a few more different associations to be the endorsed agent for their association. It just, it's kind of easier for myself to get clients when I do it that way. I don't really have to prospect as much if I'm already endorsed by the agency or or the association. So I see myself doing that a little bit more. Um, I'm probably going much more thorough in depth with my, uh, my permission network. So I'm going to probably have a number of agencies that I start working with, um, where I'm specifically putting together micro niche niche practices with them and then working with a few specialty carriers on putting together the programs just for my permission network agencies. That's probably going to be a major focus on kind of what I'm doing while expanding out into the rest of the of the industry. So, you know, 2023 is going to be kind of exciting. I mean, one of the things I also haven't really done a lot of um, yet, I've done a few, is uh, webinars, uh, boot camps, things like that. So I probably will do you know, uh, I would suspect at least one per quarter where I'm really kind of focusing on the broker of record letter from start to finish. 
Um, and one other thing that you know I am doing right now is working with some insurance carriers on setting up agency uh, training for their appointed agencies. And uh, you will definitely be seeing Permission Producer School come out probably in the first or second quarter of 2023. So I'm going to have a full-blown producer school that focuses on teaching insurance agents how to sell from start to finish, from the very beginning of trying to figure out what to go after to putting together your submissions, scripting, marketing, branding, email, social media, all of that, what to say in your first appointment, how to negotiate with underwriters to the point of actually asking for the business. Everything from A to Z on sales, that's what I'm going to be doing. It's probably going to be a week to a two-week course for new agents, probably to you know agents that are coasting, but that's going to be something that I do. I just don't see really sales being taught from different organizations that have a quote unquote producer school, you know, they might as well call it policy school because that's what they teach. They teach policy language, but they don't really teach insurance sales. And it's a completely different mechanism. I've always been a deeply cynical person when it comes to these carrier sponsored sales programs, because it's like, you're not really doing, you know, across the board sales tactics, all you're doing is teaching us how to sell your product. Uh, and everything has a certain skew and a tilt to it. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen one that was impressive uh, across the board. It always seems kind of self-serving. It's like, okay, Hartford, State Auto, you know, Travelers, Liberty, whatever. Why would I spend a couple thousand dollars on this producer school when all you're doing is teaching my employee how to sell more of your product? Yeah. Shouldn't it at the very least be free? If not, hey, bonus points of comp, you know, commission here. It's yeah, like, uh, the the whole model doesn't make sense to me. I, it I've does. I mean, the insurance fan. business doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of areas, and that's just another example of where you know insurance just doesn't make sense. But there's definitely, I think, better ways to do it. And granted, I don't think that my you know quote unquote permission producer school is going to be the best thing out there, but it is definitely mm-hmm. going to serve the need of the agent because I kind of focus on agents that are relatively new to those that are kind of like middle of the line in their book and they they're like fifty percent there and they want to get to the rest you know to the next place. That's really where I spend the bulk of my time. So just having a a producer school where I'm spending a lot of time with agents for a week week and a half just makes sense. Love it. No, this is great, man. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to get you back to your afternoon. Uh, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your programs and what you've got going on? Uh, I think LinkedIn is probably your preferred social network, right? Yeah, LinkedIn is where I spend essentially 100% of my time on business. The other social media profiles, I do a lot of personal and you know church-related things. Um, so LinkedIn you know, if you are wanting to find out more about what I have an offer and connect with me there, I spend a lot of my time there. Um, my my podcast, Millionaire Insurance Producer School. By the way, if you're not subscribed, we'd love to have you go to the Millionaire Insurance uh, Producer Podcast and listen. But from a pure like coaching perspective, what I offer from training and so forth, my main website is the place to go, permissiongroup.com. That's where I set everything up from my digital courses to my mastermind, my one-on-one courses, my agency retainer, permissiongroup.com. Love it. Permissiongroup.com. He is Charles Speck, the host of the Millionaire Insurance Producer Podcast. Uh, And that is it for this episode of a different podcast, Agency Freedom. You know how it goes. That is it for uh, for today, boys and girls. Make it a great day. We will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. 
Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.